Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Liberated by love. We're in this series. If you're new this morning, then we've been in this series for an eternity. So I'm going to hopefully wrap it up this morning. Um, But it's been a beautiful journey through the Gospels and then into the Book of Acts. And what we've been looking at is what God started and continued in the life of Christ and how that then expanded and continued in the life of the church. Um, The kingdom of God is that project. That, That project is about remaking this world remaking it around an axis of love um, and bringing liberation through that love, liberation from everything that might enslave us, everything that might bind us, everything that might oppress us or hold us back or keep us captive. And that is the good news of the gospel. Um, And so as I say, we've been looking um, through the gospels and into Acts. I love, and I've shared this every week, I'm going to keep sharing it because there's some new people in this morning in the room. Um, This quote from Willie Jennings, uh, who's a scholar, Uh, early church scholar, and he says this about the whole book of Acts. The book of Acts is the beginning of revolution. It is the overturning of the ways in which boundaries and borders have been designed by us to tell us who we are and where we should go. The book of Acts is God's way of overcoming not only those boundaries and borders, but reconstituting what it means to be a people striving for a future, redirecting that future towards a new reality of joining. This is revolution in the deepest sense of the word. I guess everything in our world, whether it's our economics or our politics or whatever, seeks to divide us and categorize us. And this new project of God and the kingdom of God is is through his son Jesus bringing people together, joining people together in the family of God. And the sad reality, I think, as we kind of reflect on this series and um, is that the gospel, particularly in our nation here, in our island here, in these islands, in the UK and Ireland, is the gospel can often be relegated or, le- or reduced to this small pledge of faith, this very individualistic faith, um, where it pertains to this afterlife. Um, we're self-sufficient in the modern world. Um, And often it doesn't sound like good news. Often it sounds like tribal religion, certainly the way Christianity and the church can present it. Often it can look like grenade throwing. Uh, It can look like um, very defensive. Um, And yet we're exploring here as a community, what does it mean for us to really understand what God is doing in the world? What is the good news of the gospel? Um, And is it more than some kind of marketing scheme? Um, it's really important because we're going to look at this whole idea of bearing witness. Um, If we look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It begs the question, what does that mean to be a witness? Jesus is actually sharing this with his early disciples. You're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem here, but it's going to keep going and keep going. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, the the dictionary definition of witness 
says to see, to hear, or to know by personal presence or perception, or to be present at an occurrence as a formal witness, spectator, or bystander. In general, a witness offers evidence that a claim is true or false. Jesus tells his disciples, from this point on, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to, you're going to bear witness to the work that I have begun. And you're going to be the evidence of my work in the world. And as I've alluded already, sometimes Christianity has been reduced to some kind of really individualistic thing. Um, perhaps it's, it's, it's akin to like a marketing scheme, maybe that old school witness approach that many of us perhaps have seen, you know, uh, in the streets, the street preachers and the giving out of tracts and all of that kind of thing. Or, but there's also like the cool kids witness, you know, I've been part of that, you know, growing up in a church that just tries to be so trendy and, can, and, and look like so much like everything that's cool in the world to appeal that it kind of like loses the kind of the whole heart of the message, loses the gospel. And it feels like veneer, a thin veneer. It feels like kind of marketing or, you know, a thin packaging. When we think about witnessing what Jesus leaves his disciples, this, this whole call to be a witness, I kind of thought about John the Baptist. And in the days leading up to Christ's ministry, he was the one who was bearing witness to the coming Messiah. He was the one that was trying to sh share with the people around them that God is about to act in the world, to call them to repent, um, to repent, and calling them to a different way of living, calling them to a way of peace, um, the way of Jesus. And that means to seek the welfare of all, to seek the welfare of all, um, Jesus, uh, John the Baptist said, be baptized, John preached, and embrace God's peace for all. And you remember that Jesus went into the wilderness and he was baptized by John and the spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and he said, you're my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. Jesus' identity was set, was clear. He was the physical embodiment of this new action in the world by God. And John the Baptist had been bearing witness to that and the lead up to that. And when Jesus comes back from the desert and being tempted in the desert, he says to the people of, of Galilee and the families that lived in the grip of the empire, and they'd watch their loved ones be put to death. And they're asking the question, what does this good news mean to us concretely? You know, is it an individualistic pledge or is there something more to it? And it's the same for us today. I guess... What John bore witness to and what Jesus began, the church continues in the book of Acts and we continue that today. And what does that mean? It means that things are changing around here. That's what Jesus was preaching. Things are changing. The kingdom of God is coming. And it begs the question, what does that really mean? I love this definition by Lisa Sharon Harper. It says that the kind of peace, the reign of God, the kingdom of God is the welfare of some Sorry, the, the human kind of peace is the welfare of some through the domination and oppression of others. That's the human definition. That the welfare of some through the domination and oppression of others. We all know people that have been on the end of oppression, things that have enslaved us, things that have kept us captive. And it's hard to believe, perhaps, that anything could be different, but the good news, the gospel, Jesus in the world is saying that God has taken action, things are changing, and the peace of God looks like welfare for all. 
To follow God means to be a citizen of this new way of being human, not the domination of some over others, but the welfare of everyone. Mark chapter 1 says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of, ne- of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And Jesus preaches that gospel and John the Baptist bears witness to this new reality of the long-awaited kingdom of God breaking in to remake the world around an axis of love where the welfare of all is priority. You'll remember Jesus then preached this word from in Luke chapter 4, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everything that we're called to do to be witnesses, the commission that we've been left with, that Jesus left his disciples and we've been left with, is to continue what Jesus started to bring this kingdom of God to earth, good news to the poor, recovery of slight to the blind, the lifting of oppression. That is our commission now too, an amazing fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah that this liberation by love is the fulfillment of a great work of God going all the way back to, to Isaiah. I want to speak about something called the year of Jubilee because this is kind of like, an, there's like echoes of this in, in Jesus' teachings and his bringing of the gospel. The year of Jubilee was a pillar of God's governance of Israel. Every 50 years, debts would be forgiven, slaves would be free, the land would be returned to its original owner, and in God's economy, no family would live in poverty in perpetuity. There would always be like an economic reset button. We don't know of Israel practiced it faithfully, but we do know that Jesus proclaimed it. And we see again the welfare of all is on Jesus' mind because he's echoing that heart when he's preaching in, 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 um, in Luke chapter 4. Not the welfare of some through the domination and oppression of others, but God's peace for all. That's the project that Jesus is about. The kingdom of God, the bearing witness to the gospel is about making right and whole all that is broken, all that is damaged, all that is disconnected, all that is disintegrated, and the seeing wholeness and flourishing and healing to all of those parts of our lives. Peace, the very good gospel, the shalom of heaven. The kingdom of God is where the image of God is recognized in every person, protected and cultivated in every single human being. So to bear witness to this gospel is not the welfare of some through the domination and oppression of others, but it's God's peace for all, God's welfare for all. So what does it mean? What is it, how do we actually do this? Remember Jesus' parting words, bear witness to this reality. I guess it's not enough for us even here in Redeemer to say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, and not actually live that out, not actually have some concrete reality to that. In order to see shalom in the world, in order to see the kingdom of God come, we need to sing the same song of Jubilee. We need to see change happen in the world. The original vision that God had in the Garden of Eden, despite going off the rails, is to see that restored, that kingdom of God, shalom on earth, peace, everything mended, um, not the welfare of some through the domination and oppression of others, but God's peace for all. 
peace for the hungry, the spirits he lost, and wholeness for a fragmented world. I was reading more about Acts, and I realized that the early Christians in Acts weren't actually called Christians. They weren't referred to as the church. They were called the way, in reference to Jesus' way of living, the bringing of this kingdom. The early followers were in Jerusalem. You remember Jesus says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. A lot of the stories in the book of Acts are the disciples figuring out what it means to bear witness to this new reality. But they're doing it in Jerusalem. And then they begin to expand. And a lot of it happens in one of the biggest cities in the Roman Empire called Antioch. And I saw this very interesting verse. When you fast forward a little bit in Acts to Acts chapter 11, there's this verse. The story has progressed. It says this, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So we've kind of fast forwarded a wee bit, and then it says this, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I love that little verse. That this, this group of people that have been called to bear witness to the kingdom of God in the world, they were, kind of, they were not called Christians, up until, but this was the very first moment that they were actually called Christians. Christians means little Christs. It means little Christs. Everything that Jesus did in the Gospels, everything that he did, God wants to continue to do in the church. That's the story of Acts. Everything that God did in and through Jesus, God wants to keep doing in the church. He wants to make little Christians, little Christs that bring his kingdom. What does it mean to be a little Christian, a little Christ? Driven by the Holy Spirit into the public square, the way, Christians were called the way, they were multi-ethnic and multilingual, we've talked about that. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit rushed in, we've talked about this, and caused everyone to speak in languages that were not their own. Each person understood everyone else. At Pentecost, God brought the languages together, but not in a way that we would imagine. God did not unite the world under one imperial language. Rather, the power of God made it possible to have unity in the midst of diversity. And in the same way, Jesus had broken gender and class barriers. This multi-ethnic, multilingual group turned its back on misogyny and economic favoritism. Peter explained to the crowd why women and slaves were prophesying. Here's a quote uh, from a book called The Recovery of Mission. What does it look like to be a little, a little Christian, a little Christ? Vinoth Ramachandra says this, that the Christians behaved as a new social grouping in the ancient world, a non-racial fellowship comprom comprising both Jews and pagans. The gospel constituted a new category of human being, a new way of being human. Their primary identity was found in a new familial community whose social inclusiveness was unparalleled. What, Jesus, what God started in Jesus, he keeps on doing through the church. The way, these group of people, and it's expanding and expanding. Here's a few points. In other words, all the cultural and economic and gender barriers between people were broken down. According to Ramachandra, to be a little Christ meant to live the Jesus way, which meant to boycott the gladiatorial spectacles, 
the mass violence in that time, the gladiatorial spectacles, the Christians would have abandoned that. The way exercised the same extravagant love that Jesus called for in the story of the Good Samaritan. It was actually common practice at that time that female babies were abandoned in the gutter in hopes that they would die overnight from exposure. And it was the people of the way, Christians, the little Christs, who would go out and search the streets for these little babies and save them. This is all in uh, 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 Ramachandra's book, The Recovery of Mission, if you want to look into that more. Further, the way practiced radical economic redistribution such that there was no longer any poor or rich. In Acts chapter 2, we've looked at that already, it says that the community held all things in common. The writer of Acts, Luke, says that the group spent much time together in the temple, the seat of all religious and civil life. The temple was not like the church today. It was a place where the people witnessed. They bore witness to this new reality um, in the temple. The temple was also the headquarters of religious power. So they would have went there and, and bore witness to this new reality that they've found in Jesus. It was a place full of all people from around the world. The people of the way went there and spent time there and gathered in public places such as malls and city halls and public squares and farmers markets and shared the good news of the gospel. The temple was where the world was at and the people of the way, the little Christs, the little Christians were there among the people bearing witness to this new reality. They broke bread together in homes with joy and generosity. That's what it meant to be a little Christ, to be a little witness. It meant to be the evidence of a new way of being in the world. I'm inspired, I'm inspired in my faith when I read of the church like that. I'm reinvigorated from the views that Christianity has presented, like the marketing scheme Christianity, if we want to call it that. I'm reinvigorated when I read about the early church and the way, and them being these little Christs, the way they bore witness in their very lives to this new way of being human. And not those old school techniques, not the cool church techniques, but like a radical familial community that oriented their lives around the way of Jesus. This in and of itself is the witness that God was calling for. This was what Jesus meant. To be my witnesses meant to be a community that is the evidence itself that something has happened. It doesn't necessarily mean to kind of open our mouths and tell it. It means to be the very evidence in the world. Be little Christs. You remember from John 13, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So loving one another was another evidence that something different had happened and Jesus had commanded his disciples to do that. Through the centuries, bearing witness to the gospel looked like a radical community living the way of Jesus together. And at certain times, this has meant Christians or followers of the way have had to contend for the justice that Jesus spoke about. They've had to oppose the global slave trade. They've had to reject violence. They've had to stand up for the rights of women and black people. They've had to fight for the rights of the marginalized. And it's not a political ideology in and of itself. But if politics is the way of ordering society, then of course 
followers of the way, little Christians, will have something to say about that, to advocate for the oppressed, to make right what is wrong, to seek the welfare of all, to rewrite that story, not in a bipartisan way, not in a sectarian way, but in a cruciform way, in a Jesus way, in a laying down our lives for the sake of others way, giving our voice for the marginalized and the oppressed, extending love and forgiveness just as God has forgiven us. That's what actually it means to repent. It means to change your mind, to live a different way, to live and bear witness to a different reality, not the welfare of some through the domination and oppression of others, God's peace for all, God's peace for the hungry, God's peace for the spiritually lost, and God's peace and wholeness for a fragmented world. This is what Lisa Sharon Harper says in her book, The Very Good Gospel. Evidence of the presence of the kingdom of God is thick wherever and whenever people stand on the promise of God that there is more to this world, more to this life, than, we, than, than what we see. There is more than the getting over, getting by, getting mine. There is more than the brokenness, the destruction, and the despair that threaten to wash over us like the waters of the deep. There is a vision of a world where God cuts through the chaos, where God speaks and there is light. There is a vision where there is protection and where love is binding every relationship together. There is a call for humanity to exercise dominion over itself and the rest of creation in a way that serves all, not just self. And there is a promise that as long as we follow God's way, there will be life, healing, and love. There will come a time when all the world stands before God in shalom. And there will only be one tree and its leaves will heal our wounds. The gospel answers the heart cry of our age. Our ransacked world is crying out for the restoration of the government of God and the shalom that it brings. As the body of Christ lives out the gospel in pews and in households and in the public square, it is partnering with God to restore every good to the world. It is exercising God's kind of dominion within the church, and it calls leaders to do the same in society to exercise the kind of dominion that cultivates the image of God on earth while serving and protecting all of God's creation. Let it be so. There is a way back to peace and shalom. It is the way of Jesus demonstrated through his life, death, and resurrection. This is the good news. This is the gospel. In our post-Christian nation in Northern Ireland, people are hungry for a vision of community that it's not just a thin marketing scheme or an afterlife choice. They want to enter into a way of life that makes concrete change in the world. And Jesus called to his church, to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, to bear witnesses that you will be my witnesses. Is our commission here in Redeemer that we would be little Christs, that we would seek to be that radical familial community that seeks to work against injustice, that seeks to lift up the marginalized, that seeks to see wounds healed, that seeks to love one another and bear with one another and forgive one another. And that in and of itself will be the evidence that something radically different has happened in the world. I'd love to invite you to stand. I'd love to invite John up to come and lead us in a song.
wonder, David and Fran, would you love to serve communion for us? Yeah. yeah. We've got breads and we've got wine. Um, you know, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, David. Just landed that on you. Um, if you're new here today, we practice what's called the open table of Jesus, which means this meal that David and Fran are holding before us is Jesus' meal and it's Jesus' table. And the invitation is from Jesus. It means that everyone is welcome at the table. It's not a table that we police or decide who gets to be at the table. If you want to be with Jesus at his table today, his table of grace, you're most welcome to come and take of the bread and the wine. The bread is gluten-free and it's actually fruit juice. Um, so hopefully that will, um, that will appeal to everybody. Um, I'd love us to pray. And I, I, as I was thinking about how we might come to the table this morning, I was thinking about just what we've been journeying through this series, Liberated by Love, and this something that's happened in the world through Jesus, this, this gospel, this kingdom of God, this new way of being human, this remaking of the world around love, not violence, this welfare for all, as opposed to welfare for just some people, this story that is so much bigger than we could even get our heads around, and it can feel so overwhelming, when we think about being witnesses to that, but there's so much grace for us as the church to just do that, not on our own power, but just by in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I came across this famous prayer, Prayer of Peace by St. Francis. I'd love us to pray it together. So please join me as a prayer that might help us today invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to be witnesses to this new reality this morning. Let's say this together. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Let's come and receive the grace of God this morning and the filling of the Spirit as we take the bread.